Uh, David and Nikki, could you come up here and, and join us on me on stage this morning? Guys, put your hands together. These are two of my favorite people. Thank you, sir. Mm. So David and Nikki are are with us this morning. Well, they're with us every morning. But David and Nikki Rowland uh, have an incredible story. And I wanted you to hear it. One of the things that we're, we're doing, we're, we're going to be growing into in 2019 is taking the time for you to hear what God has done in the hearts and lives of people in our church. Sometimes we, we, we don't celebrate what God has been doing enough, right? We'll have these amazing moments, but then we don't, you don't hear about it. And they have a powerful story, and I want you to hear it this morning straight from them uh, because it's really neat, and it's just a testimony of how good and great God is. Now, you guys ready for this? I mean, no pressure, no pressure. I, I literally asked them like Friday. So <laughs> anyhow, I love that they, they were like, yeah, just tell us what to do, where to go, how to do it, and they're in. I love that faith. So Nikki, start us off. Share a little bit of your story with us this morning. Can you do that? All right. Hello, church. Hello, church. I'll try not to shake too much. Um, So I didn't really grow up going to church. Um, I knew of Jesus, uh, but I didn't really know him. I didn't know what he had done for me. When I was younger, um, I was abused, which led to being very insecure, very uh, angry a lot, very depressed, um, which then that filtered over into my life and my marriage uh, as I grew grew older. Um, Then about 10 years ago, Uh, We moved to Clarksville, Tennessee, because my husband was in the military. Um, And um, then I was invited to a military wives group. Um, It's a small group at a local church that that I was invited to. Um, And I was like, okay, well, my husband's getting ready to be deployed for the third time. And so I was like, okay, well, I need to get connected to someone um, while he's gone, because we didn't have anybody there. So as I started attending the small group, um, I also then began attending the church there. And during that time, I really found out who Jesus really was and what he really did for me. Um, During a Friday night worship, (laughs) um, I decided to uh, give my life to Jesus at that time. Now, I don't remember it being this big, huge event, um, but what I do remember is how I felt. I felt this overwhelming peace of God just come over me. And at that moment, I knew that he was going to take care of everything. That, um, yeah, that he would just take care of it all. (laughs) Um, And he took care of that, all of those things, and just so much more. Well, during this time, I've been in the military seven years. I was lost, depressed, dealing with PTSD, dealing with uh, grieving my battle buddies, uh, dying, and uh, struggling with alcohol. Um, I didn't grow up in church, didn't know anything about God. Well, uh, then coming home on my third deployment from Afghanistan, I came home to a different woman. She, uh, She had this fire and desire for God that I had never seen before. And it was very interesting and uh, different, different, and uh, I, I began going to church with her, 
and then uh, I got connected with a men's life group um, at the church at a local coffee shop and uh, in that was uh, special forces soldiers and um, they began crying out and talking about Jesus like he was their best friend so that was very interesting about the third time going there I uh, decided to give my life to Jesus and uh, was radically changed because of it and uh, fast forward now 180 degree change I'm 13 years sober I've been uh, married 17 years four beautiful daughters worked for Mary the police department and God chose me and I chose God just because of a men's life group so I encourage you all to do that amazing don't you love that found it very interesting strong I want you to I wanted you to hear their story number one it's Veterans Day we're gonna honor veterans here in just a moment but I want you to see how the gospel works Sometimes we make it about this service right here, and I'm not saying that this isn't powerful. It is. God moves in this. But it started with somebody extending an invitation to Nikki and saying, hey, would you you want to come to my small group? We're, like, we're, I'm inviting you into community here. And she needed it. And she went and she heard the gospel and she heard the gospel. Then she went to church and she heard the gospel. And finally she responded and her husband comes home and his wife isn't the same. And so he's like, man, what, what's she into? Sure, I'll go to the, you know, the, the Bible study for seals. And I can't remember if you said that the, the, the church, our every nation church there is connected to uh, the army base there in Clarksville, Tennessee. You might have said that. Force Ministries. And so David gets saved and gives his life to Jesus. And we see the gospel and the, a legacy, a whole family line has been forever changed because of it. And that's how the gospel works. It, it works on the inside and changes things. Man, I'm proud of you guys. Thank you for sharing that. I know it's nerve-wracking. Oh, you can't leave yet. I'm going to pray for you too. Um, isn't that just encouraging? And come on, 13 years sober, bro. Love that. Strong. If you have served in the military in any form or fashion, would you, would you do this? Would you take a moment? I know nobody wants to be honored in these moments. That's, I recognize that. But we're going to. Uh, it's a worthy moment to honor you. So would you stand if you've served? And I want you to stay standing for just a moment. Guys, can you put your hands together for these, these fine men? Thank you. Thank you for your service. You guys have experienced things that none of us have experienced. And we're thankful for you. We're thankful for you. You can have a seat. I'm going to pray for you. Uh, Father, thank you for these men. Thank you for... David and Nikki, God, thank you for the spouses who've stood by husbands as they've been deployed. God, thank you for husbands who've stood by uh, their wives as they've been deployed. God, sons and daughters, 
God, we thank you for their lives and what they've, uh, God, how they've lived their lives to the sacrifice, for the sacrifice, God, of our freedoms, for our freedoms. God, we thank you for them. And we ask that you'd bless them now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you. Strong. Guys, we're going to jump in. Oftentimes we have a little video that, you know, sets up the message or something like that. But for time's sake, we're just going to cruise right on in to the message this morning. Uh, I'll say this again. I've said it already a couple times. But if this is your first time, welcome to High Point. We're pumped that you're here. Uh, guys, I want to encourage you to be liking and sharing and commenting on social media when you see things about Jingle Jam. You've noticed our fancy new banners possibly up on the fence this uh, morning heading into the church, highlighting once again Jingle Jam. Because we're passionate about seeing God work in the lives of people just like David and Nikki. Because those people are in our community as well. So, you guys amped about this? You guys pumped about this. I can tell. You are just coming out of your shoes this morning. Yeah, there it is. There's, that's Gerald right there. If you wanted to know who that was, there's only one who would do something like that, and that is the very one and only Gerald Stafford. <laughs> All right, guys, let me ask you this. As we, as we head into things, we're in a series called What's Your Hurry? And think of something that you have that you currently still have that's broken. You know what I'm talking about, where, where you, you still have it, maybe you even carry it with you. Somebody in this room, I guarantee, has a TV somewhere in their house, maybe it's in their garage, it's busted, but you have not sold it, or gotten rid of it, or taken it to a dumpster. It's just sitting somewhere, collecting dust. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you have phones in drawers with cracked screens, and you just haven't done anything with them. Raise your hand if you've got a cracked phone somewhere. That's exactly right. You know how it is. You think somehow you're either going to make money on this, you're going to sell it to somebody, or one day when it's iPhone 54, you're going to, you know, you're going to get that thing repaired. No, you're not. You're not going to do that. We, we, we keep things oftentimes that are broken. Um, sometimes it's out of sentimentality. Other times because we have nobler purposes in mind, we're going to repurpose this thing. But we all understand this idea of something not working right or, or being broken, and yet it's kept because it's important to us. And this morning we're in a series, uh, the second installment called What's Your Hurry? And one of the things that many of us experience on a regular basis is brokenness in our soul. Now obviously you can't just get rid of your soul. It's not going to happen unless you're, well, whatever. That isn't going to happen. Right? It's not like it's a possession that you own that you bring into the a repair shop to have fixed. But, but there is brokenness that we oftentimes experience, and we know what it looks like. We go from thing to 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 try to fill this ache and this hole in our heart and our soul, and we think if we can just get one more thing in, we'll finally have peace. Some of us have experienced great pain in our life. A lot of pain. And oftentimes when we've experienced great pain, you know what we try to do? We try to find anything that will ease it. Anything. Some of us have experienced brokenness in other ways. 
Maybe it's just, the, it's just sin in general, living in a fallen world. Maybe you grew up going to church, and maybe you had an incredible family, and you were raised right. Well, guess what? I got bad news for you. There is still brokenness in your own heart and in your own soul because as great as your parents were, they can never fulfill the perfect nature of your heavenly father. It can't be done. You're going to have bruises and dents along the way. And oftentimes we try to repair the brokenness in our heart by pouring our life into other things, working for things. That's not just in the West. This is every human being, period. Preparing for this message, I, I, about two months ago, Amy and I had a car that we no longer have anymore. It was a Pacifica. And one morning I was pulling it out of the driveway and I noticed the speedometer wasn't, didn't seem like it was working quite right as I was, you know, pulling out of the driveway. I thought, I'll, you know, I'll just, I'll tap it, you know, because hitting things always makes them work, right? That's just the default. Bam, I'm going to hit it. I thought, well, maybe, maybe the car just needs to kind of, you know, just get going a little bit and things will kick into gear. So by the time I was driving about 20 miles an hour, my speedometer registered that I was driving 80. And by the time I got out of the neighborhood and was driving about 30 or 40, you, you, you get the picture here. The speedometer registered that I'm driving about 100 to 120 miles an hour. Now you can imagine, I didn't get it fixed because... Why would I do that? You know, that's, that's, there's no wisdom in that, apparently. I mean, who needs to know how fast they're driving? But you can imagine how that presented a little bit of difficulty, driving a car and not actually knowing how fast you're going. And then, then you got comfortable with it, and you just subtracted basically 60 from whatever it actually was on so that you knew how fast you were actually going. That's, a, that's what a guy does right there, right? That's just such a classic stereotypical man in that situation. But as I was driving around, I actually felt God speak to me on this. He said, this is what you, this is how you've been living your life. This is how so many people live their lives. It's just, it's broken. But instead of actually getting this thing made right, where it reads right and functions right, and it's fulfilling the purpose for which it was designed, we just learn to cope with it and deal with it and subtract 60 from it and just kind of gimp along and limp along to get through. And the other thing about it, especially in a culture that hurries so much, is that sometimes the, when, when you find yourself hurried and you find yourself unrested, now what's amazing is that even though you're actually only going 20 miles an hour, it feels like you're going 80. You know what I'm talking about here. You get so used to going fast and, you're, and you're, you're overdriving this life so much that when you finally have a task that's simple, you blow it out of proportion. You just can't seem to function in a normal setting anymore. Well, I have great news for us today. I've got great news for you. I believe this so wholeheartedly. I believe that Jesus Christ is exactly who he says he is. 
I believe that he is the son of the living God. I believe that we live in a world that was broken and ravaged by sin. Even though God created it perfectly and man stepped into it as he was created, man rebelled against God because man in our infinite wisdom had a better way. A way that was somehow more competent, smarter, wiser, more fulfilling than God's way. And sin entered the world and sin has broken the very nature that we have on the inside of us. All of us here have a sinful, broken nature. You have a speedometer that does not work right. And the only way to remedy that is through Jesus. And what's interesting is that when Jesus lived a perfect life, Jesus lived a sinless life. He lived the life that you and I could not live on our own. Now, some of you are sitting here and you're like, I've heard this a thousand times. Just track with me here for a minute. Jesus lived the life that you and I were not able to live. We couldn't do it. And he died a death for you and I so that we could live a life that we didn't deserve. And what's interesting is that those who put their faith in Jesus as the son of the living God, the one who died for their sins, the early church was not described as Christians. That's not how people were designated early followers of Jesus. They weren't even truly called disciples initially. They were called men and women of the way. The way, literally. I mean, does that sound like a cult? Where are you part of? The way. The way. But the reason it was deemed the way is because when Jesus has changed you and when you put your faith in him, it literally changes how you function. It changes how you live. It changes how you believe. It changes how you speak. It changes everything. It changes the way you live in every single facet and what I love about Jesus well I love a lot of things about Jesus but I love how he cuts through the noise so quickly with such authority and even today when you read the scriptures they're just as relevant to us now as they were 2,000 years ago and this is what he says in a culture that constantly tries to fill the brokenness in our soul with anything and everything. Jesus has this to say. He says in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Come to me, all you who are weary, all you who are burdened, and I'll give you rest, Jesus says. You need to know that Jesus came for the brokenhearted. Jesus came for the bitterhearted. He came for the hopelesshearted. He came for the fearfulhearted. He came for every single heart condition that you have. 
And he sums it up like this, that those who are weary in heart, weary in spirit, meaning you have poured yourself into so many things and tried to find life in them. But you haven't done it. Come to me, all you who are weary, and all of you who are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my my bur- my my what is it? My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What is a yoke? This is, we're not talking about fried eggs here. Because Jesus here, Jesus is talking about giving people rest, and yet he's using a, a farm reference here. I actually looked to try to buy one. If you can put the picture up uh, of what a yoke looked like, I believe it's in the computer. Um, but if if it's in there, you're going to see this. This there it is. This piece of equipment that was put on two bulls. That's a yoke. If you're looking to buy one, there's one in Fayetteville for about a hundred dollars. <laughs> That's what a yoke is. And when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, he's talking to an, ag- an agrarian, an agrarian society that understands farming and understands what working the ground and working the soil looks like. And Jesus is saying, put this on you. And here's how a, a, a yoke would work is you'd have an old bull, an older bull that understands the route, that understands the way that understands what it looks like to plow that field and to not veer to the right and not veer to the left. It's a bull that understands his master's voice and his master's commands. It's a bull that understands when to stop and when to go. And you would saddle that yoke upon the seasoned bull, and then you'd put the younger bull who just didn't quite know all the right things or was new to plowing or was just being a young bull, which is, you know, uh, one that's kicking and one that's pulling and one that thinks it's got its own way and its, its way is going to be better. Well, what does that young bull need more than anything? It needs to take the time to walk alongside an older bull so that it can learn what it looks like to walk a straight path, to learn to hear the master's voice, to learn what it looks like to break the ground and to not veer off in his own little course over here or his own little course over here. My yoke. So this is the yoke that Jesus is talking about, and yet there was a different yoke that, that the people of God, Israel, were, were, were walking in. It was the yoke that the Pharisees, the religious community, the church of the day had placed on them. And instead of, instead of being a wise and mature bull, so to speak, that's bringing the younger generation along and providing a way for them to know God and to find peace and rest in relationship with him, rather than in, inviting them into that, they did the opposite and they just saddled them with commands and saddled them with law and saddled them with condemnation and guilt and, and one thing after the next. I could keep going, but you get the idea. And that was the yoke that the church, that the that the Israel was growing up under, the weight of performance and the weight of trying to 
earn your way into God's graces. And Jesus has something very different for us. And he says, take my yoke upon you. For my burden is light. The yoke is easy. And so Jesus offers us, he basically is saying, come alongside me. If you want to experience rest and you want to experience true peace for a weary soul, come alongside me. I'm going to take 100% of the weight of this thing on my shoulders, but I'm going to show you what it's like to walk alongside me, to hear the voice of my Father, to not go to the right, to not go to the left, but to walk in the grace and peace and life that only comes from relationship with the Heavenly Father. Jesus offers rest for the weary-hearted. My question for you today, you guys, is are you weary? Are you? Are you weary in your soul from doing, from hurrying, from giving your life to lots of different things? Here's my question for you. Are you weary today? And here's a way for you to begin to gauge properly whether or not there's weariness in your soul. Are you short-tempered? Do you just get mad all the time? Do you get mad fast and quickly? And you're 0 to 120 in 0.2 seconds. Is there weariness in your soul? Because a short-tempered, hot-tempered person, oftentimes there's a weariness that's attacking them from the inside out. Do you desire sleep all the time? Only to find that when you finally do sleep, you wake up and you're not actually rested. See, there is a sleep. Oftentimes when we find ourselves weary, we find ourselves fatigued, but we think the answer is if I just get more physical sleep, I'll feel good. Now, hear me, you need to sleep. Some of you actually do. You just shut your eyes and get a good six to eight hours in. But you guys know what this is like when you finally get it and you wake up and you think, I'm still tired. What's wrong with me? I still feel fatigued. Because there's a weariness of soul that can never be satisfied simply by you laying in your bed. Do you still have conviction over sin in your life? Because when you find yourself no longer really being convicted by sin, I promise you what is at work is weariness in your soul. You're no longer bothered by it. You're no longer sharp. You're no longer fresh. What used to be you walking alongside Jesus has, has been, you've, you've turned into the young bull who's just walking his own path. No longer bothered by it. Are you weary? Do you exaggerate? Do you make small problems big problems? Do you rush from thing to thing to thing? And even when you aren't rushing, you still feel like you're rushing on the inside? Like there's just something you've got to do? If you are, and if you feel that way, there's a good chance. There's a weariness of soul. 
And Jesus has an answer for you. He promises us rest, and we have to put his yoke upon us. But sometimes, especially in our religious Bible Belt culture, we get used to these kind of terminologies, or we, we get used to hearing the words, have relationship with Jesus, have relationship with God, go to church, be in a life group, be in a small group. We're familiar with all of those, and we're able to just tune them out because you've heard it a thousand times. Jesus says this, when it comes to working for rest, there's one thing that Jesus asks us to do. It isn't attend a church service, even though you should. It isn't that you would, you know, check in for life group, although life group is great. It isn't that you would be able to clock in and have, you know, you fasted four times this year, although fasting is fantastic. Jesus says this in John 6, 28. He says, what must we do? That They asked him, what must we do to, to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this. It's to believe in the one he sent. Period. That's it. To believe in him. To trust him. To put faith in the one that Jesus sent. And then he reminds us just a few chapters later in John 15, he says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So true rest, therefore, comes from believing in Jesus, trusting in Jesus, and having relationship with Jesus. Now sometimes, if you've, grown, if you've gone to church for a while, sometimes there can be this inordinate pressure on a pastor or a communicator to have this like just unearthly you know, revelation every single Sunday that no one has ever heard before and no one has ever experienced before. And the Shekinah glory of God would rip through the ceiling of the church and everyone would just be floored by your knowledge of God's word. But the reality is this. Once you've been following Jesus for a little bit, once you've attended church for a while, there comes a point where you're, you're going to have heard the gospel. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like you, you will have, if you're reading the scriptures, you will have read the scriptures. And that's not to say that the Holy Spirit won't bring things to light for you, because he should. And as a communicator of the gospel, a preacher, well, I better be in God's presence, and I better be bringing my best to, that, to, to, to the microphone every single Sunday. But understand that my job isn't to give you revelation of God's word. It's to drive you into God's presence. It's that you would take what you are, have heard from, from me, from the scriptures and prayer, and that you would do everything you can to get more of God for yourself. If there's anything to be selfish about, it's God's presence at work in your life. So, I'm going to start breaking this down for you very practically. Because it would grieve me for you to have come to church, 
you're hearing about this culture of busyness, this culture of hurrying, this culture of trying to fill the ache in our hearts with things that ultimately can never satisfy, and we just leave it at that and have a nice prayer. No, practically speaking, how do you actually walk alongside Jesus and begin to hear from him and to learn from him? And maybe you have at one point, but you've... You've grown stagnant or you've forgotten or your, your ears, maybe from your own sin or your own disobedience or your own deception or whatever it might be. I don't know. But you need to partner back up with Jesus again. You need to come alongside him again. And so we, we some of our, our every nation pastors got together this past, this past week, Monday and Tuesday. Where our region of every nation churches gets together and our pastors get together. and We basically almost have a church service, so to speak, for, for, for church and for, for church leaders, for church staff. And it's amazing because my good friend, his name is Brent Girardi, pastors our church in Augusta at In Focus. He preached a message and it's a message I've heard before. It was a message reminding me to get in God's presence. Reminding me to value who he is as preeminent to everything else in my life. And so God, we see this at work in Psalm 91. Now, this is the King James Version so that you, you know it's really spiritual. It says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge. He is my fortress. My God, in him I will trust. There is this thing that all of us have to begin cultivating in our life. And we can just call it what it is. We call it the secret place. It's that thing where you get up. Maybe it's at night. Maybe it's in the morning. We see Jesus pulling apart from all of the disciples and getting time alone before the sun had risen. It was still dark, the Bible says. When Jesus would go and he would get time with his heavenly Father every single day. And it wasn't out of religious duty or religious obligation. It's because he longed to be in the presence of his heavenly Father. And he had to fight for a secret place. You think that the, the, the affairs of the world weren't crowding on Jesus? Jesus was going to die for the sins of the world. If there's anybody who had stuff to get done, it's Jesus. And yet what did he find time to do? He found time to prioritize that which was most important, and that was relationship with his Father. What's a secret place look like for you? Because if it looks like the TV being on, and you on your phone, and your kids all running around you all at the same time, and you're pouring cereal, and, and you know, kicking the coffee button to get the coffee running, and you know, all the things that life is, that's not a secret place. That's not a place for you to meet with God and to spend time with God and to hear from God. Now, I realize this is tough at times, but this is what we've got to get to, church, where we, if the, the culture of being hurried and being broken is to ever to find the wholeness of Jesus, that means we have to know Jesus and we have to have relationship with Jesus and we have to walk alongside him. 
And if the only places you're doing that are an occasional small group, a campus meeting, or a church service, I promise you, you're not getting enough. It's good. Pl- it's a good thing to do all those, might I add. But it's not enough for your soul. Brent said it really well. He gave us three things. He said, make time, shut the door, listen more, talk less. <laughs> Just blunt. Bam. Here's what it looks like for me when I'm doing it well. I'm up at about 5. Whew. 5, 5.30. And every single morning, my phone beckons to me. I had 12 messages on my phone this morning all from a mirror that people wanted to buy that I posted on Facebook Market yesterday. And I immediately thought to myself, I need to respond to every one of these right now. I think four messages have come in while I'm preaching. Statistically speaking, when a text message comes on your phone and your phone is not with you, but it's across the room, studies show almost 100% of the time that when you hear your phone go off, there is an anxiety response that triggers in your body. And you know what it's like when your phone's not with you and you hear your chime? Like, oh, I need to get to that. Oh, I know we're eating, but someone is trying to get a hold of me right now. I must respond. No, you don't. Number one, your family needs you, but number two, when that's the culture we cultivate, how will we ever value our time with Jesus above everything else? And so for me in the morning, it looks like me getting up and I have to get up before my kids are awake. It is dark outside. I've got my Bible and I don't use my phone. I've got this tiny little dopey notebook and a pen and I read a chapter a day. I pray about it. I ask God to enlighten his scriptures to me. Make it real for me. I brew my coffee because Jesus would have done that. And I sip on some nice coffee while I read the scriptures when no one's awake. And you know what's amazing is that although everything in my body says don't get out of bed, you need rest for the tasks ahead. You need to sleep as much as possible so you can get the job done. The reality is physical rest will not help me get the job done over here. What I really need more than anything is to be filled with the Spirit of God, the power of God, the might of God, the conviction of God. The Holy Spirit needs to be alive in me. That's how I get what God has given me to do done. That's how we do it. It's not in my own strength. It's by being filled with God's strength that I'm actually able to fulfill what God has put on my plate. I don't have time to meet with God. You don't have time not to. I'm going to be posting some things this week that I think will help you just cultivate a greater secret place with God. I know it's, t- it's hard, church. I get it. It is. It can be difficult. <laughs> you've got kids you're trying to get to school. Some of you guys are working big-time jobs. You've got classes. You've got late nights. You've got early mornings. There's lots of things. 
And so prioritizing that time with Christ, it's that much more important. Not less. It's that much more. There's a movie, and Mark, if you're, I don't know where you are, but you can, you can man the keys up here. I'm going to land the plane. There's a movie called Smoke that you may or may not have seen, and it's, it's, it's a movie about the Brooklyn Cigar Company. And there's a guy that owns this cigar company. His name is Augie, and there's another character, and his name is Paul. And it's about all these relationships in this movie. But, you know, Paul is this guy whose, whose wife has died. His wife was actually shot and killed. And he's grieving, and he's in pain. And then you have Augie, who's kind of the relational kind of evangelist. He's got the Brooklyn Cigar Company, and people come in, and they buy things, and they smoke. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's the story, uh, ultimately, of these two men becoming friends. And Augie does something really interesting at 8 a.m. every single morning in front of his cigar shop, the Brooklyn Cigar Company. He gets his camera and his tripod, and he comes out to the curb. He turns around. He puts the camera on the tripod. He literally waits for the clock to turn 8 a.m., and at exactly 8 a.m., he snaps a picture of his store and whatever is in it. Meaning all the hustle bustle of people with their bags, you know, off to work and doing their thing and living their life and with their kids and eating their bagels and drinking their coffee. And he's capturing all of it at 8 a.m. every single morning for years. And one of the the mornings, Paul, he's in his store and he sees this camera and he begins to ask him about his work. And so Augie begins to tell him what, you know, this is what I do. It's just a hobby of mine. And he says, you know what I'd love to do? I'd love to see some of your work sometime. And so they come over to his house, and they're in his apartment, and they're both just smoking away. And Augie has album after album after album of pictures of the exact same thing. Paul opens up the album, you know, just like, okay. This is really great. And, you know, he's just dragging on his cigarette. And he's flipping through, and he's, he's kind of confused and puzzled. So, okay, why are you taking a picture of the same thing? And he begins to move quickly through the pages. And he's moving quickly, and he closes one album, and he opens the next. And Augie, Augie steps in, and he puts his hand on him, and he says, if you don't slow down, you'll never get it. You're going to miss it. to look smoking a cigarette begins to take his time looking at the exact picture over and over and over again and in this picture the sun is casting shadows here and in this picture you know you see little children running across the street and in this picture you see an older gentleman and in this picture you see his wife who'd been shot and killed he's so taken back and he's got the cigarette in his hand and puts his hand over his mouth he says my Ellen my sweet darling she's beautiful and she's radiant she was pregnant he sees a picture of his 
wife who he'd been greatly missing and he just breaks down and he begins to grieve and he begins to cry and begins to let out his pain. And the power of this story is that while these pictures didn't seem to really have much value, especially when they were moving through them so fast. It's amazing when you take the time, and he took the time to stop, to look. He saw something of incredible value. See that Bible for a moment. this right here is your photo album, church. We want to talk about meeting with God in the quiet place. Valuing relationship with Him above everything else. What does that look like? It means that you and I must stop. It means that we must slow down. And the photo album, we've got to take our time moving through it. Because I promise you, if you just are kind of doing this, you're not really going to get what God has for you. You're not going to hear His voice. You're not going to be led by, by the Spirit of God because you're moving too fast. You're moving too quick. The affairs and cares of the day are going to be creeping in on you. But if you will take your time, if you will value that time with Him, if you will find that secret place, where nothing else is infringing on you and you will just pour over him. Take your time and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you and to listen more and to speak a whole lot less. I can promise you, you will find rest for a weary soul. You don't have to shout in your prayer life. You don't have to scream in tongues in your closet. You can. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to love reading. What you have to love is God speaking to you. And you know how he speaks? He speaks through his word. He speaks through prayer. He speaks through your relationships, which you're going to hear about next week. a pastor one time I'll wrap with this I was in a small group and he looked at me and he said Andy do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is yes do you believe that Jesus still speaks to you and leads you today yes I do if you really believe that wouldn't you run to meet with him every single morning as the first thing that you do if you really believe he's true and you really believe he is who he says he is and that he's really he has something to say to you that he has a life for you that he has faith for you that he has a message for you would you not do everything and anything you can to meet with the God of heaven and earth that you might be filled with the Spirit of God.
exactly what we would do. And that's what we should do. Because we value that relationship with Jesus. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. There is nothing you need to do to put yourself in right relationship with Jesus except cry out to him and put your faith in him and begin to walk in relationship with him. That's it. That's where it starts. All these other things, getting yourself cleaned up, making yourself right before you go to church, no, that isn't right. That is not right theology. That is not the Jesus of the scriptures. Oh, Jesus will call you to repent, and he will deal with sin in your life, but he does it as you walk in relationship with him. Run to him. Spend time with him. Spend time in his word. If you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, where do I even start? Find a place that's quiet. Get a Bible and a piece of paper. And read through one chapter of Matthew. The first book of the New Testament. And ask God to show you something. It starts right there. Father, I thank you that you are a good father and that you love us and that you draw us into relationship with you because your yoke, it is easy. Your burden, it, there is no burden. You carried it all. Far be it from us, Lord, to not run to you, to, to, to long to love you and be in relationship with you, to walk alongside you, God, we run to, from thing to thing to thing and to do, to do, to do, to do. But God, that we would be a people who prize our time with you above all else, Lord. That we might love you and know you and hear from you. And be changed by you, God. It's in your name we pray. If you're like me, there might be some things that you need to adjust in your schedule. And by the way, I don't get this right all the time. There are plenty of times. I had somebody, I mean, I was up. <laughs> I won't even go. I won't even go there. I had a child next to me basically from 4 a.m. on. And I had to put them on the couch and do all these things. And it wasn't the greatest time hearing from God, right? That happens. That's That's life. Are going to get things are going to crowd it out, but by and large, our priority should be Jesus, time with Him. We got to fight for that, amen. So let's fight for it.